Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book, Where the River Begins, by Patricia Sanjin, with permission of Moody Publishing Company. And we are reading Chapter 5, The Gang. One result of happenings of that Sunday morning was that Ron became Francis's faithful little shadow. He wanted to go to school with him. He followed him about all day and longed for another invitation to come and sit in the cherry tree. But it never came. Francis was qu- quite enjoyed Rom's admiration, and he liked the little presents Rom brought him. But he found him a bit of a bore when his other friends were around and usually could not be bothered with him. But Rom was unoffended and put Francis's coldness down to the English manners, which were quite different from the Indian manners and were something that you had to get used to, like the English food and weather, and always being in a hurry. Besides, Francis had a great deal to think about, and he had followed Tyke and Spotty at lunch hour and strolled past their hideout as though by mistake, just when they were enjoying their daily smoke. They had seized him and threatened him with terrible punishment and beatings if, if he told on them, but he assured them he was just starting to smoke himself and would be delighted to join them. And then he tried to buy a pack of cigarettes, but the lady in the shop refused to sell him. So he collected his father's stubs and went up to the cherry tree to experiment and was very sick into Mrs. Glengarry's yard. It seemed a losing battle. But at last they had noticed him, and they knew that although he was so much younger, he was on their side, and that encouraged him. When Sunday came around again, he took no risk. He cleaned and rubbed the car till it shone and his stepfather praised him, and his mother told him rather absent-mindedly that he was a good boy. She was unable to concentrate on anything that morning because she was not sure whether the dad was going to stay home that afternoon and take them out or not. Do you want to come, Francis, if dad has the time to take us out, she asked. You usually feel sick in the car, don't you? So don't bother if you'd rather stay. We shan't be long, and we'll bring something nice for tea. She doesn't really want me to come, thought Francis. She thinks I'll say something and make Dad mad or fight Wendy in the back. I don't want to go anyhow. Aloud, he said, I'll stay here, Mom. I don't like that car much. Take Wendy and Deb. I want to do some things by myself. His mother laughed at his important-sounding voice and kissed him. She was happy that afternoon. The sun was shining. The birds were singing. Her husband was in a good mood and had decided to take her and the girls to the amusement park. It would be much more peaceful afternoon if Francis stayed home, for Wendy and Debbie hardly ever quarreled, and both got along well with their father. It was a great relief that Francis did not want to go come. Francis watched them go, waving to him, waving to them, him, and was surprised at the funny, lonely feeling inside of him. He wanted to belong somehow, but he knew that he did not really belong inside that car. But now it was his great chance to belong to Tyke's gang, and he must escape quickly in case Rom came to visit. He stuck his two-bladed knife in his pocket and set off in a run. He did not suppose that they would be there so early in the afternoon, but he would just snoop around and have a look. He knew exactly where to go. The house was the last one on the road, and beyond it was a hedge and a playing field. An old woman had lived there, and one night she had accidentally set her house afire. She had run out screaming and was in the old people's home. The blaze had been quenched, but a lot of damage had been done. So far, the city had done nothing about it, and it remained blackened and empty, with the windows boarded up. Francis had never been through the gate before. 
What's inside the yard? His heart began to beat very fast indeed, and he realized he was not very brave. What if, what if he'd joined the gang and they made him do scary, dangerous things in the dark? He suddenly wanted to run home to his mother. It would be nearly tea time, and they would be bringing something nice for tea. And then he remembered that they had not really wanted him. They liked best to be just the four of them, and here in the gang he might really, truly belong and become an important person. His fear gave way to his excitement, and he peeped around the corner of the house. At the back, there was an old tool shed with a door with one hinge, which did not shut properly. He could slip inside without even opening it. It was a horrible place. Empty cans and bottles and cigarette ends littered the floor. The walls were mildewed and the windows stuffed with rags. There were some old bits of matting, a bench, a broken chair, a tin box containing tools and knives, a candle and matches, a pile of paperbacks on the shelf. Francis thumbed through them, enjoying the cover, cover pictures of blazing tanks and crashing planes and one-eyed monsters from space but the stories were too old for him, and he soon put them all back. A smelly, sordid thing at place it was, but to Francis it seemed like the very gate of paradise. He sat for a long time daydreaming and forgot all about tea time, and then he went outside to the little patch of yard behind the shed, and when he thought, and when he thought how wretched it looked, a trampled piece of earth covered with rotten cabbage and rusting cans. There was an old rake leaning against the wall, and he set to work collecting the rubbish. The birds had stopped singing and shadows lay across the yard, but it was nowhere near sunset. There was still time. He worked on, still daydreaming. Perhaps they would be pleased that he cleaned up the yard. Perhaps if he dug up the earth, he could grow mustard and crest and radishes and make sandwiches for Tyke. He had done, the, done it before at home and had made sandwiches for Mum. The sky above the hedge was crimson now, and he did not want to leave before he finished his job. And then, quite suddenly, they came. They charged into the shed and lit the lantern, which shone through, out through the gap in the door, making a broad beam across the path. To escape, he, he would have to cross that beam, so he crouched behind a bramble, pressed himself against the wall, and waited. There were the three of them. They could hear everything. He could hear everything they said, the rasp of matches and the opening of cans. They were smoking, and they seemed to make, be making some sort of a plan. A little walk-around, they called it. Francis learned that the telephone booth outside Rom's house was doing no one any good, and why not smash it? He crouched, trembling and listening, and wondering what to do. They might stay there for hours, and Mom would be crying, and Dad hopping mad, but he dared not move, for this was not the introduction he had imagined. What if they found him in the dark and murdered him in cold blood before he had time to explain himself? Spotty would be scared to do a thing like that, but Tyke would stop at nothing. Tyke was wonderful. Francis's heart glowed with admiration, and then quite suddenly, before the March night was cold, he sneezed. He heard the boys leap to their feet, and then there was a dead silence. Francis wondered for a moment whether they were quite so brave as he had imagined. At last, Tyke opened the door very cautiously indeed. "'Bet it's that little wog,' he whispered uncertainly. "'Not him,' quivered, quivered Spotty. "'We scared the daylights out of him.' "'Who's there?' said Tyke. They seemed to be coming nearer altogether. Francis realized with a, a thrill of terror that his only hope was to give himself up. They might do anything to him if they found him crouching in the dark. He rose up from behind the bramble, and they all sprang back using words Francis had never heard before. 
But when they saw how small he was standing alone in the dark, they came forward and dragged him into the shed. They punched him and slapped him, but not very hard. He did not really mind, for this was his big test. This was his initiation for manhood. What did you hear, demanded demanded Tyke, holding his wrist and looking at him with narrowed eyes. I heard about the phone booth, he blurted out Francis. And Tyke, let me join your gang. If you want to smash the phone booths, I could help you. I can run ever so fast. I'm the fastest under 11 in the school. I could watch out and warn you, and you could smash anything you wanted. Tyke, indeed. Thomas Isaac from you, if you don't mind. But then he stared thoughtfully into those bright, intelligent eyes lifted to his. They showed no fear, only a sort of admiration. And Tyke, who had known very little love or admiration in his life, felt rather funny. He had always dreamed of being a kind of brigadier chief, but his only followers so far were Fat Spotty and Bonkers, who was supposed to be a little bit wrong in the head and was about to be transferred to a special school. He was getting rather tired of both of them, but this one was different. He could teach this one anything and make what he liked out of them. Besides, if he really overheard them, he'd better be watched. There had been some other acts of vandalism, and the police were on the lookout. So he squeezed Francis's wrist a little harder. Right, he said fiercely, you can do some running for us. You're not to hang around us at school, see? We, we don't want you, but you can come here next Sunday at this time, and we'll teach you a thing or two. Ever smoked? Yes, said Francis eagerly, uh, forbore to mention how sick he had been. And if you tell on us, Tyke's eyes narrowed again. He pushed his face close to Francis and uttered such awful blood-curdling threats that Francis shivered. But he was not really afraid because he would never, never tell, not on the pain of death. Right, said, said Tyke again. All right. Already? Now listen, don't you dare make a mistake. Run to the end of the road by the T-junction and stand against the wall. Look right and left. When no one's coming either way, step out under the streetlight and raise your hand. Did you get me? Ah, uh-huh, breathed Francis. Right now. Scram! And Francis scrammed. He thought he had never run so fast before, for Tyke was watching him, and there seemed to lend wings to his feet. He pressed himself against the wall, invisible in his gray jersey, and peered around the corner. A car was coming. It turned into the road where he stood and he drew up outside the house. That was most unfortunate. But what was even more unfortunate was that it was his dad's car and dad sat inside, tooting his horn softly on the horn. Francis's eye grew, grew, eyes grew larger and larger. If his dad turned and came back, the car lights would shine right on him. It would be safest to run home quickly, but faithfulness to Tyke kept him rooted to the spot, and a moment left the door of the house open, and a lady in high heels came clicking down the path. Dad leaned over, opened the car door, and started up the engine. They drove straight on and turned down a street, a side street, while Francis gave a sigh of relief. He peeped around the corner again, and there was no one coming at all. He stepped into the lamplight and raised his hand. He felt it was the most glorious thing he'd ever done. And as he raced it to the third dark forms before running, their feet noiseless on the grass, as they reached the telephone booth, it became a dark, confused mass. Francis heard the tinkle of broken glass and saw the lights go out. It was over in a few seconds, and they sped on past him, still standing, fascinated under the light. 
Go home, you little fool, ordered Tyke, turning to the left while Spotty and Bonker sped to the right. Francis saw a couple of doors open and realized why they were in such a hurry. He too turned and fled and did not stop running until he reached his home. He was very thankful that his father was out. Tea had already been cleared away and he felt hungry. He was just peering hopefully into the pantry when his mother came in. Francis, she said sharply, tea is over, and if you can't come home in time, you need not have any. There's a glass of milk and a slice of bread, and then you go straight to bed. Where have you been anyway? Just playing in the street, he muttered sullenly, shuffling his feet. Well, I don't know what you think you're doing in the next street at this hour. Your father's really cross about it, and he's just gone out, but tomorrow you're going to catch it, and you deserve all you get. Francis was very hungry indeed, and he suddenly thought of a way to distract his mother's attention. He stuck his hands in his pockets and looked up at her. I know he's gone out, he said. I saw him. Rubbish, you said. You were playing in the next street. How could you have seen him? Well, he came into the next street. He stopped outside a house and tooted his horn. And what happened? A lady came out and got into the car and they drove away. Her eyes seemed to be boring holes in him. Her face was very white and her voice was very quiet. What was the lady like? Kind of fat with yellow hair. I couldn't see much. Francis, are you making all this up? You seem to have been telling a lot of lies lately. It's true. Honest, Mom. I'll, I'll show you the house. But she turned away, clutching her hands. She had forgotten all about him. He walked straight into the pantry and helped himself to bread and butter and ham and a large slice of apple tart and a, a, a glass of milk. Then he hurried up to his bedroom and settled down to enjoy his supper. He was feeling utterly, recklessly happy. It had been a great fun watching them smash that telephone booth, and Tyke was a wonderful leader. And he, Francis, belonged. He was important. They had seen how fast he could run, and they had accepted him. He climbed into bed, th- lay thinking of the rosy, grabby, smashing future ahead of him. He was just falling asleep when a tiny noise at the windowsill, and Whiskers jumped onto his bed. He lifted the blankets and she crept in beside him and curled herself into a warm ball against his chest. He stroked her thoughtfully and felt rather sad. It was no fun at all kicking Whiskers. She was much too forgiving. She only loved and purred. And tomorrow we'll read chapter 6, The Fire. I love you. I'm praying for you. And we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.